Welcome to a special edition of the NRL.com podcast. My name is Chris Kennedy. I am joined by Jamie Soward and Craig Wing, who are both on the line to discuss a massive grand final day. Obviously, the Roosters' second consecutive premiership, the women's final, the state championship final. We're going to finish up with a bit of a chat about the upcoming uh, Kangaroos, Nines and Tests uh, squads. Guys, thanks for being here. No problem. G'day, CK. Sowie. Good to have you both on the line. So let's start off, obviously, um, the highlight of the weekend, the um, the Roosters and the Raiders. Uh, Raiders, a bit of a fairy tale team. Roosters, just a tiny bit too good in the uh, the key moments. Just keen to get, I guess, both of your thoughts on um, where this was won. Yeah, I what think, you think both sides defensively, yeah, thanks, Wingy. I think both sides defensively um, put their best game in and it came down to a couple of opportunities and moments in laps. Um, yeah, the champs didn't give them a, an opportunity to be able to do that. I think mean, if you talk about the three tries that were scored, um, you know, Jack Whitens was running the footy against a, a tired boy caught in the court on the wrong side. Uh, Verrills was, you know, Joe Tarpanay retreating slowly back um, after, you know, defending their line pretty physically open. And then at the end, you know, that, that try down that right-hand side, um, if you're looking back at it, the Raiders defended for 78 minutes, the best they probably have all year. But those two lapses, um, you know, cost them in the end. And uh, they'll look back at the opportunities, opportunities they missed with the ball. But for me, when you defensively, um, they just that's moments and laps from a team that hasn't been on, a, on that big stage before versus the Roosters, who were too good to hold them. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. I thought, um, look, all in all, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a really tough slog. And the fact that it came down to those little moments, moments and lapses in concentration, that's just symbolic of a big game, whether it's an origin, whether it's a, a finals game or, or grand final. Um, I really enjoyed that side of things. I thought the, look, I thought the, both teams defended really, really well. I was impressed with the way that the Raiders were able to nullify a lot of the attacking players for the majority of the game um, that were on the Roosters team. I, we didn't really see much from Tedesco until right at the back end of the game. Same as Latrell Mitchell. Um, even Joey Manu was nullified. I thought I thought that was where they might have had the advantage in the centres, the Roosters, but um, not too much happened there. Um, look, there's a lot to be said about the Roosters' defence in particular in terms of how they held the, the Raiders out. But from my mind, I didn't feel like the Raiders threw enough at them in attack. And by that, I mean making the opposition make decisions in defence. They were basically going at them with, a, with, a, with an attitude where they were just going to try and run over them and try and make the Roosters miss tackles one-on-one, which was never going to happen. And I, I guess the thing that highlights that the most is the fact that they didn't score against... 12 men when the Roosters got Cooper Cronk sent off. That was a, that was a big thing for me. Um, but in saying that, I did feel like the Raiders dominated for for a large part of that game. They came home really strong in the, in the first half, and then for the majority of the back half, uh, majority of the second half, they had most of the ball and and were really they were really dictating the way that the game was played. It wasn't as slick or as fast as the Roosters would have liked, but. You know, it's, it's full credit to the Roosters. They just hang in there, hang in there, hang in there, as they've done many times throughout the year. And then, bang, they just get you with a try against the run-up play, which, which effectively breaks you back. And, and that was always going to be a concern for the Raiders, of the fact that a lot of their tries is, you know, 9 7 six, one, you need to have a nice, a nice mix. And if you've got two of those guys cooking in, Tedesco and Geary, 
Well, Cronk can have a quiet year and only have six or seven tries, and then Verrill comes in and does his job. But the Raiders, um, CK, we spoke about it all throughout the year every mm. time I come to the office that yeah, that was a concern for them. Yeah, up until a, a couple of weeks before the finals, um, Charles Zuckel, Clockstad, Jack White and, and Aiden Caesar had only combined for 10 tries. Mm. Um, they, they got a lot of their tries off you know, opportunism and, and being you know, offloads and, and that kind of stuff. And you know, the Roosters didn't let them do that. And, and that's what we're saying. You know, they didn't chance their arm early enough with their second phase to be able to try and break up that line. And the Roosters were too good. But I just felt like that was always going to come back to bite them in a big game, knowing that Keery can come out with a big play. Cronk can do a big play. Verrill's had his big play. And then in the end, Tedesco. So the 9 7 6 1. Uh, ended up coming to the fore. You talk about the the creativity and the, the difference in the spines. What did you make of the Raiders' kicking games? Because I thought Aiden Caesar had a pretty quiet game, and, and White and obviously a deserved Clive Churchill medalist, but a couple of his early kicks I thought were a t- tiny bit dusty as well. Yeah, well, I mean, for, for me, I, I, again, I was concerned about the, the kicking game of the Raiders all year. Um, I think when you make an experiment and play with a, a guy that hasn't played 5-8, Jack White, outstanding game, and outstanding season and I got that one wrong I didn't see that coming but uh, you need a dominant half and you know the Raiders swapped their halves they they weren't settled on one you never felt like that they fully believed in you know whoever had them could get the job done uh, even after those big games so um, unfortunately for Aiden he had a slow start against South Sydney and Canberra and they probably carried on into the grand final and having you know been there and myself, Wingy, that was part of the idea of the play we ran early on in the game was to kick for Gaz, knowing that, um, you know, if someone... I didn't want the occasion to overwhelm me, and Wayne knew that. So to get involved early with a kick and get my confidence up, you know, really settled me. And uh, the Raiders missed a bit of a trick with their kicking game. I don't think they they thought Brett Morris was going to be able to handle it, which is, you know, a mistake. But um, I would have mixed up a lot more of my kicks, maybe even kicked a little bit. Uh, on the front foot just to try and turn the Roosters pack around. Yeah, I, I've got to agree. And I think there was plenty of opportunity, particularly down the left-hand side, to put the ball in behind the Roosters. But like you said, Sal, yeah, that's where a dominant half really comes into play. They know the kicks to do. They know when to do them. They study the opposition. Also, they keep the, they keep the team on the game plan and they, keep them, they, they steer them around the park. And as soon as you get into the opposition's 20 metre area, um, you should know where you should be going to within one play, uh, two at the most, and then you should have something set. Whereas I, I kind of see the difference between the two teams. Both teams defended really, really well. One team had a really specific game plan and really good structure, and, and everything ran off the back of that. And then the other team played ad lib footy for, for a lot of it. And, and with that ad lib footy came a lot of uh, poor execution in passes. Like I know the number of times the Raiders try to attack that left side and the pass was going behind. Um, you just can't do that in big games. Sal, you touched on Brett Morris before, um, a guy that you won a, a grand final with, thought he was absolutely imperious under the, the high ball. Did Raiders potentially just keep going to, going there a little bit too much? No, well, I think, yeah, that was the game plan. Yeah, I, I had a feeling that they were going to uh, try and make you know, Daniel Tupo go and get the ball, Tedesco, they didn't want him catching it on the fly. So they executed that uh, part of it perfectly. They, they made him work, and you can only ask him to keep diffusing kicks. It was the type of kicks. Um, you know, they were never, ever going to catch one 
Uh, Roosters always had numbers around. They were never going to catch one and run through and score. So, um, you know, like Wingy said, when you're attacking the line, the Roosters are up and in hard and, and, and aggressive. Uh, you can just put a, put the ball in Aiden Caesar's hands and let him go to the line and kick early uh, just to hold them back a little bit. And that, and that can give you an advantage when you can see Brett Morris coming, he kicks him behind. Then the next time he's got a half-second guess and make him think about where we're giving him the ball. So, uh, But he was outstanding. I think uh, he was a, a try away from... If he scores a try, I think he wins to Clive Churchill. Absolutely outstanding. Mm. Uh, two back from the other wing. And I don't think they expected those two guys to get their set started over Rapana and Kotri. You know, they would have favoured themselves in that wing matchup. So, uh, But, yeah, the, the wingers for the Roosters certainly helped uh, James Tedesco, who still ran for 150-odd, 200 metres. But it was the way that those Roosters wingers got the set started to be able to take a bit of pressure off him. Mm. Raiders finished up with 54% of possession for the game. A lot of that um, dominance came in the second half. They certainly had plenty of chances. There's been a lot of talk in the wash-up about the refereeing and particularly the you know, the error around the, the six again. But um, I guess at the end of the day, the Raiders had more than enough chances and just weren't quite good enough. So you have to say the better team won. Yeah. yeah I, that, oh, sorry, Wing, you go. But, um, no, no, you, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah like, I thought there was a few dubious calls, probably... Uh, the Roosters had a little bit of luck on the side of the calls going their way, but um, as we were saying before, the, I thought the Raiders couldn't score against 12 men. Um, and I, I think that says it all for me. I mean, it's, it's promising signs for the Raiders when all they have to do for next year is keep the same mindset in defence and, and the way that they attack with the attitude in which they attack with. But if they could just polish up their plays, be a little bit more precise with their plays, then... You know, they, they very well would have gotten the Roosters. Yeah, and, and those decisions, um, you know, I've, I think we've we've all had our say, but uh, I would hate to think that the Raiders weren't mentally strong enough to to push past those decisions and switch back on um, and, you know, go to that sort of um, amateur way of, of blaming the referee. They had plenty of opportunities. Uh, Leilua... Yeah, catch pass, Rapana scores in the corner. And I think if that play comes off, that's more important than the, the two decisions that we're talking about. So, um, yeah, for me, the Raiders certainly have their opportunity. Uh, will they be back next year? They get George Williams. Uh, they'll have to tweak their outside backs a little bit. I don't know if they can keep BJ Leilua. Um, they, if they could add a guy like a Zach Lomax, I think that might yeah, freshen them up a little bit. But... Uh, they overachieved this year, whether they whether they like that or not. Um, they overachieved in my eyes, um, so they've they've got to get back there. But they'll have to change a few things in terms of. It's great to be defensive, uh, but we always knew that the Roosters had one of those plays in them. I don't think we always knew that the Raiders could have one of those plays against the Roosters. Um, and throughout the year, they defended so good that their their points total against. You know, teams that finished 5 to 16 were 12 to 13 points. They were outstanding. But their t- the, the times that they played those teams from 1 to 5, in and around that, when they where they were, they conceded 20 points in those regular season games. And they've tightened it up for the finals, but it always comes back that will hurt you because those teams have seen something at the crucial time, and, and that's how the Roosters are able to get them. We talked a bit about the Raiders' prospects for next year with potentially George Williams coming in and, and whether they can back it up. What do we think about the Roosters? Obviously, Cooper Cronk finally retires. He's won the last three grand finals straight. Um, 
grooming Carl Flanagan potentially to come in and partner Luke Carey, a couple of other options like Lachlan Lamb in the club as well. Um, you know, is it a three-peat on the cards or is that just too big of an ask in the, the modern era? Um, well, it's going to be a huge ask because we haven't, you know, I don't even know how the, how the Broncos finished up in that 94 season. There's going to be a lot of comparisons to them throughout the year. Uh, how do they handle, you know, this off-season? When do they come back? Um, the hunger's there to go to go repeat, and everyone will say, you know, Wingy will tell you as well, that it does die off throughout the year. You know, you get bored knowing that your best game's better than everyone else, but, you know, we need to get there and win those tight games. So they've been very lucky with injuries the last couple of years. Um, yeah, unfortunate for Jake Friend that he's been injured, but they've, they've unveiled Ferrell. So a lot will come uh, down to who they play in the halves. I think it'll be Kyle Flanagan. Uh, hopefully we see him get a chance in the World Club Challenge. Um but yeah, it's. I mean, it's a huge ask. But we always thought back to back was a huge ask. Um, we'll mm. just have to wait and see how they manoeuvre their squad, what trades or what um, you know sort of signings happen in and around their squad. Can they pick up another guy for value? Uh, do they lose some of those fringe guys like Lindsay Collins, uh, Satili, Tapanua, Famasili? You know, all these guys that played reserve grade and filled in all year for them. If they lose a couple of those guys, then their depth's tested. So. Um, we'll have to wait and see, but oh, I mean, yeah, you'd, you'd be you'd be a fool to say that they can't make the eight, and, and once they get there, you never know. <clears throat> All right, any final thoughts on the uh, the men's GF before we move on to the other games on Grand Final Day? I think we covered it there. Happy with that one. Good job, Sally. Anyway, the uh, the previous game to that one, the Broncos 30, the Dragons 6. Broncos coming off what was their first ever loss in the two-year history of the NRLW, uh, a narrow one to the Warriors a week before. The Dragons coming in in red-hot form after two big wins, but the reigning Premiers Brisbane just absolutely swamped them from the start of the game, and it was pretty much a, a one-horse race from that point onwards. Yeah, it was grown experience. Women yeah, versus... Um... Yeah, some, I guess, uh, you know, inexperience from the Dragons. Um, yeah, they just came down and monstered them. They couldn't complete a set early, the Dragons. And for me, Brigginshaw just steered the ship perfectly. They were more aggressive, the Broncos. Uh, and look, this is not a shot at everyone else in the competition, but uh, to the to the naked eye, I'd be interested to hear what you boys think. Uh, but they just look more professional than the other teams. Uh, they come down in that pack mentality. Of course, they have to go on the road because they don't get any games in Brisbane. But, um, you know, for me, they just look way more professional. Uh, and then they get to grand final day and it's almost over before you run out because uh, they know that they can get the job done. So, uh, unfortunately for St George, they got walloped on the big stage. But you can't take it anything away from the Broncos. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there, Sally. I guess Brisbane have dominated for the last two years. And it's a case that it's, it's not too dissimilar to... Um, you know, the the run that the Queensland Origin team had um, the, in the winner's circle. So you've got those great players in the same team week after week, and they just they just tend to get a little bit further in front the more games that they win in front of everyone else. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not surprised that, the, that Brisbane went so well. They have been a form team in the last couple of years. But one thing I have noticed um, in the last couple of years that I've been watching the women's footy is the skill level across the board is actually, it's gotten better and better. Um, the way that they defend, the wrestle in the, in the, in the tackles, um, structure when they're attacking the ball these days, and even the kicking games of the halves, are, it's, it's gotten better across the board, across the whole competition. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying watching it. 
Sarah, you mentioned the polish that um, Ali Brigginshaw adds, and, and she does that pretty much every time she plays. But I thought the middle forwards made a massive statement early. Um, Millie Boyle and Amber Hall in the middle, and um, also Annette Brander on the edge, just um, fantastic. And then when the, uh, the bench he's got on, Steph Hancock and Chelsea Landuzzi were phenomenal as well. Yeah, they were, and they all did their job. They didn't have to complicate things uh, early on. They they were physical, and, and they got to the end of their sets through uh, Brigginshaw, and then she just got on the front foot. And, you know, speaking to Maddie Stubbin after the game, um, it was it's hard to bring back uh, when the forwards are going backwards. So uh, I think that they'll learn a lot from that, uh, the Dragons. But, yeah, they, they bought five of the Brisbane Broncos team. Maybe they need to buy a few more uh, <laughs> to try get down there if they're to go one step better. A yeah, um, bit of a shock switch on um, the final team lists with uh, veteran Jillaroo Chelsea Baker dropped at fullback and uh, the youngster Tamika Upton brought in. I thought Upton actually had a really, um, really good all-round game, but it's um, I guess a sign of the uh, the competition for spots at the moment that someone of Baker's standing can be left out of the, the big one. Well, I actually spoke to Chelsea uh, during the game, and yeah, I mean, yeah, Upton played fantastic, but. Um, that's a, that's a story in itself. The fact that the coach had made a decision to go with um, Upton instead of Chelsea Baker. So, yeah, I don't know what happened there. Whether it was a disciplinary thing, but yeah, it was uh, it was a sensation on the day, and uh, we all thought she'd been injured, but she, she guaranteed that um, she'd been dropped, and that's a huge call for someone that you know been so good um, over the last couple of years, and you you know you expect to be first picked for New uh, for Queensland. Sorry, so. Um, that's a story in itself that the, the coach made that decision. Look, it didn't affect them, but um, yeah, it was, it was uh, puzzling on the day to see um, why why she wasn't in the side. Um, moving on to the, the state championships, and I think it was a, a jaw-dropping finish in the um, the Canterbury Cup final um, a week before when the Jets snatched it away from uh, from Wenty with a you know a, a prop forward putting a chip out wide and, and racing away and scoring in the, the dying seconds. You would not have backed the exact same finish to happen a, a week later. The Jets looking uh, down and out part way through that game, coming back and then stealing it right on the final siren in exactly the same fashion as the week before. Oh, yeah, Billy Magulius, absolutely, absolutely outstanding. Um, having watched him all throughout the year, he's uh, he's a skillful uh, guy who's played back row and played yeah five eight throughout this final series. And uh, to be able to come up with those two clutch plays, the, the, the last bounce, uh, I don't even think the great Craig Wing could have kicked it <laughs> like that. So um, yeah, it was one of those things where in the commentary box I'd sort of thrown the the hands to the head and thought, yeah, because I, I really wanted Newtown to win uh, that that state championship. They put a lot of work behind the scenes, and you know they keep that Newtown dream alive of hopefully, you know, potentially maybe one percent being back in the NRL. They 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 dream of that, so uh, it was nice to see him on the big stage. But Billy McGullius, uh, if he can get a little bit fitter ahead of next year and have another full preseason with the Sharks. Uh, he can prove dangerous because he's just a footballer wingy and uh, he doesn't play the structure very well. The coach told him not to kick it ahead of the grand final uh, against Wenny. Uh, <laughs> since then, he's come up for three kick prizes. <laughs> yeah, thank God he did. But what a spectacular finish that was for that game. I, you know, credit has to go to the Jets for hanging in there. The Bears got away and they got that they got that bit of a lead. But I guess from the Bears' point of view, it's it's definitely the one that got away. I mean... Being in a grand final, having that big a lead, and 
I guess it's a you'd know Sally. Sometimes you can get into those situations where um, you've got a bit of a lead. It's a big game, and then you just end up trying to protect the lead for the rest of the game, and then that's that's when you start to play a dangerous game because the other team's coming for you and you just and they're, and they're trying to run you down. But when you stop trying to score tries and you just start to try to protect the lead that you got, um, quite often it backfires. Yeah, look, and it did. Uh, I think Jamal Fogarty, uh, who won the Petro Seven and Player of the Year. Um, 25, I was questioning I think he's good enough to be in an NRL team especially up there, Brisbane all the time they don't have a halfback uh, at the moment but uh, you could just see that the game management style of things probably you know, needed to learn a few things ahead of if he was going to play in the NRL again so uh, you felt like that the the, the Newtown Jets were coming to get them and in the end they did uh, through a lucky bounce but uh, yeah, it was certainly their their lack of punch when things got tight that um, that went in Newtown's favour and they came away with a, a memorable win. Oh, we might um, throw forward just uh, quickly uh, to finish up the podcast looking at the uh, the Kangaroos squads that have been announced for the end of the year, the um, the Nines and the, the Test squad for the two Oceania Tests. Uh, Sally, I'll start with you for the, the nine squad. It's uh, quite similar to what they ended up with uh, the under-23s kangaroo squad. A lot of exciting young talent on show that should really enjoy the uh, the extra space on the field. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, guys like Pappenhausen. Uh, I can't wait to see him in the green and gold. I think he's got a really bright future. Uh, yeah, these, these guys that uh, have played well throughout the year, but probably you know, still learning how to be a consistent first grader, um, get their chance in the nines. So, yeah, the, the, the nines, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan uh, of, of the nines, uh, especially in the year after a long season, but I can understand how they want to grow the game. And now they, I think Mal Wenning has done a fantastic job picking a really young side, giving those older guys um, some rest that will be on the Kangaroo Tour in, a, in next year in the World Cup. Uh, ahead of yeah, what's been a tough season, but um, they'll they'll still go in favourites. Australia, I think it's a fantastic side. And wingy, you know, I'm looking forward to the young speedsters getting a bit of space yeah. with uh, less players on the field. I think that'll be pretty exciting to watch. Just the um, the playmakers they've named as well. You've got um, you know Mitchell Moses, who's one of those really attacking halves with a great running game. Cody Walker, uh, extremely similar. Both of those guys heavily involved in their their team's attack this year. Plus, Caelan uh, Ponger and AJ Brimson, who are two guys who can obviously play fullback or or a bit of six. It's um, it's not your more traditional, you know, the Cooper Cronk style um, playmaker. It's very much the the attacking, running, you know, creative type type of uh, playmaker. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And guys that can just make something out of nothing, throw them the ball and see what they come up with. They, they've all got speed. They all can score tries on their own and set them up. So um, even the likes of David Fafita out there, mm. he can. the number of times they've just chucked the ball to him and he's made something out of nothing. So these guys have got big engines on them. They can play a lot of minutes, cover a lot of ground. So I think they've... Uh, They've done a good job there. Also, none of your traditional old-school-style prop forwards. All the forwards, are, um, even the middle forwards, are very much the, the mobile and, and creative style. Um, Nathan Brown, the, the Eels lock, who had a good year, and, and Jai Arrow as well, two of those guys who are um, you know, the very mobile middle forward. And then guys like Tyson Frizzell and you know, edges like David Hafida and Wade Graham who, who offer a bit of X-factor. So it's um, a lot of attack in this team. Looking forward to seeing, say, look at Cody Walker, Kalen Ponger, mm. Pappenhausen, um, Addo Carr. Can't wait to see those guys in some space. Well, and, and not only that, boys, but you think about the, you know, Australia 
in this concept, uh, we've, we've been expected to win every rugby league test or game any time there's an Australian team playing where, yeah, I, I don't think we're even clear favourites in this competition. Uh, younger side, how do they match up playing back up, you know, game after game against New Zealand who've got all the steppers and, and fast guys as well and then you've got the emerging nations, Papua New Guinea. Like, this is an open competition. I think this is going to be really exciting to watch uh, once we finally get there. And the fact that it's at Bank West, well, you know, you can go out and spend the whole week in there. You're going to see all your favourite stars across from all the teams. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I'd rather see a World Cup nines than a, a club nines at the start of the year where, where teams can uh, lose their best player. Absolutely. Well, a couple of uh, full, fl- um, you know, full-fledged test matches to come after that with the, the senior kangaroo squad. I wouldn't say there's any real surprises in there, but all up there's um, six debutants' names. So definitely a little bit of a, a changing of the guard. Um, someone like you know Jack Whiten, uh, not no surprises after the year he's had both in Origin and, and for the Raiders and, and Payne Haas, who we've all talked about so much this year, seemed destined for, for higher honours from an early early stage. Yeah, well, probably a surprise for me when he is, um, you know, Ben Hunt. Uh, I spoke to Mal Meninga during the week, and he said he, he seems to think that Ben Hunt's the um, second best hooker in the in the country, or uh, in this competition. So that was interesting to hear him say. Um, rewarded him for his loyalty and form uh, in the past in making himself available for for earlier trips to to Papua New Guinea and stuff like that. But um, be interested to hear your thoughts, Wingy, knowing that. Jack White and you know, at a pinch could probably play at nine and you could shuffle that around, you know, if you've got a Cam Murray in there as well. Yeah, I agree. I guess probably the, the two well Ben Hunt is the one that stands out in my mind across the board, looking at the team. I look at all of them and think, Yep, they've been playing really good footy, they all deserve to be there. Ben Hunt's had a bit of a mixed bag season. I wouldn't call him the second best hooker in the competition, but I would I would say that he's the best um best person that can play hooker but also play halfback and do a decent job of it. Um, I think the problem with Ben Hunt down at the down at the, uh, the Dragons has been that he has been the number one go-to guy and I, I don't really see him as that person. Put him in a rep team however where he's got other guys around him that can take a bit of the pressure off him and, and you do see him excel a little bit so um, look, yes it is a bit, he's probably not the one well, he's probably not the strongest pick there when you look at all the other players, but I guess in terms of his versatility and his ability to play in other positions um, and the fact that um, Mal likes to that Mal likes to go with the loyalty side of things, I think uh, I think he doesn't look too out of place. Now, the halves, we've got um, Daly Cherubin's almost certainly going to be the seven, which leaves Munster and Keary vying for the six jersey. Keary in significant doubt with that ankle injury he carried through the final series. Mel said if Keary's ruled out, there'll be another uh, halves player brought in. Um, wasn't going to reveal who that was going to be uh, if it happens. Who, I guess, between Munster and Keary, who would be your first choice six if, if DC is the seven? And then who else from the competition would you potentially look to, to bring in? I guess Wingy will start with you on that one. I like Munster um, just because of his physicality, uh, number one. And um, look, to be honest, you're not losing anything with either of them going into that position. Mm. Um, Kiri's, Kiri's, he's, a, he's an amazing player and he's, you know, I've, he's pretty much carried the Roosters on his back a number of times. In terms of putting him in a representative team, though, obviously you've got to learn new players, new game plan. Um, you're going to have to you know, work out how you interact with all those other players around. I, I just, 
you know, I think in a rep team, I see uh, uh, Munster is a little bit more versatile in that sense. But look, it's look, there's 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 really not much between them. What do you think, Sally? Yeah, look, I think. Luke Hugh was chosen as a five eight last year. Um, if we remember against Tonga, he just he got injured. So um, I think he will get the nod ahead of Munster, who fin- he finished the year probably a little bit better. And I think you got to reward being able to, to steer, help steer the team around and come up with big plays in the grand final. So there's not much between them. Uh, but yeah, maybe Munster goes in that versatility role and comes off the bench, uh, knowing that he could play nine, he's a good defender, he could play in the middle, he's a big body, so we'll have to wait and see, but um, yeah, for the first time in a long time, you haven't been able to roll out you know, Slater and Thurston and Smith and Cronk and just think the job's going to be done. This is a real transition period for Australia, so I'm sure Mal will be trying to get as many uh, looks at different combinations ahead of a, a tough tour next year of the Great Britain and then the, uh, the World Cup the year after. And what if Kiri is ruled out? Do you look at someone like Cody Walker or Mitch Moses, who's been named in the the extended Australia teams, or do you have someone else in mind to, to come in? Um, I'd like to see Cody Walker there. I think Cody Walker would fit uh, that that style of play. Uh, Mitchell Moses, I think, likes being in tr- control. I don't know how he'd play off the ball uh, with that sort of Daly Cherry Evans mix. So I think Cody Walker would has done enough this year to to say that the next step of improvement could be in the Australian team. Nice one. Any final thoughts on the Kangaroo squad before we wrap it up? All good. Sure, Wingy wasn't in there. All good, mate. Still fit enough to play. Boys, very much appreciate you uh, joining us for this podcast. Um, great insights there, particularly on the uh, all the grand final stuff. Been great chatting to you both, and uh, can't wait for the uh, the nines and the, the, test, the tests coming up. Thanks, mate. Beautiful. Thanks, Jim.